0: hey hi hello y'all it's me RB freshly thawed from a northern Minnesota blizzard and I'm excited to be welcoming you to season two of take the last bite if you're a returner let me get the door for you we appreciate you coming back and if you're newly tuning in don't worry we've got a seat saved for you too and it's nice and toasty As a quick refresher, my name is RB. I use they, them pronouns, and I am the director of programs for the Midwest Institute for Sexuality and Gender Diversity. As a lifelong Midwesterner, it has been a vital part of my journey claiming queerness and transness, connecting with other Midwest queer and trans people, building my ecosystem and engaging in meaningful work for queer and trans justice within the Midwest region. What has emerged through my personal pursuits of building connectivity and community and being in right relationship with other Midwest queer and trans people is that I have connected with the amazing team that has become the Midwest Institute. And our objective through all of our programming and especially this podcast is to elevate, uplift, and center conversations, narratives, stories, and highlights about Midwest queer and trans communities doing rad work because we know that we are often disregarded in larger broad-based national conversations about movement work. And who better to tell these necessary stories than Midwest queer and trans folks who call the Midwest home. In the time since you've heard from me, our team, and our splendid invited guests at the end of season one, we've been hard at work meeting and collaborating with a rad team of student planners from the states of Ohio and Indiana, working in preparation for the upcoming Midwest Bisexual Lesbian Gay Transgender Asexual College Conference, Mumble Tech for the necessary short, as we gear up for the 30th annual conference um, in October, 2022, taking place in Columbus, Ohio. In the 30 year history of the conference, Um, The conference has taken place in many of the Midwest states, almost all of them, um, but we have not been in Ohio since 2003. So we're excited to get back to that part of the region, showcase some of the amazing work going on in Ohio and Indiana, and to engage with attendees from immediately around that region and of course across the Midwest region in totality. Throughout season two, you can expect plenty of updates about how you can get involved with that conference, either as an attendee, or as a presenter, or participating in this newly launched piece of programming that we're really excited about that is essentially a queer and trans Etsy shop and art fair, but in person. So that's pretty exciting. So stay tuned, pay attention to um, any updates we give the podcast, or you can check out mumbletech.org for all of the timely updates and detailed information about that piece of programming. And in not so exciting news, what has also taken place since we've been away is that the anti-trans antagonizers have been back on their BS. Uh, two major legislative disasters that are gaining major attention right now is the ongoing evolution um, of the Don't Say Gay bill in Florida, which essentially censors or denies conversation, discussion, content, educational materials um, about LGBTQ communities, um, LGBTQ people, and creates penalizations um, for anybody uh, instructing on or coordinating their content and then just within the past week as we are publishing this podcast on March 1st um Greg Abbott made a big declarative statement that apparently according to him and his cishet whiteness gender affirming healthcare for trans minors or trans youth is quote unquote child abuse he encouraged people to report parents for essentially supporting their kids (sighs) deep breaths that's all happening that's gaining major attention that's generating quite a bit of like social rhetorical commentary where everybody's emboldened to make their unsolicited claims about transness whether or not we should be um giving access to trans affirming uh health care to children and or anybody Um, And so while the Texas and Florida examples are not necessarily surprising because of just the uh, historical record um, of what tends to be the perspective on queer and trans people in the states of Texas and Florida, we also need to bring it back home and zoom in a bit on what is also taking place here in our Midwest region. Region. So this awesome resource called freedomforallamericans.org has actually uh, aggregated information about the slew of anti-trans bills and legislation that are being introduced across the country in all 50 states. Um, and on their website they have this interactive map where if you scroll over a state of interest, it'll actually allow you to click it and it'll break down every single bill that has been introduced just within the past two months. Months um, within these states and give detailed information about the uh, specifics of the bills that are being introduced. And y'all, we got to talk. We have a problem of the 13 Midwest states that the Institute considers as part of the Midwest, which could be a future episode, quite frankly. Um, A majority of them are shaded red on this map indicating that there is at least one bill that has been proposed since the beginning of this calendar year that attacks queerness, transness in some capacity. I think the map I'm looking at is specifically anti-trans legislation, but the language could certainly be used to leverage attacks against queer and trans people broadly because these types of legislation and all of their ickiness really tend to attack people based on um, gender expression, bodily expression, behavior, right? So like we got we to gotta understand Now, with 100% certainty, these types of legislative attacks are not new. Um, You can do plenty of research and sleuthing to find plenty of examples, um, plenty of waves of instances in which the Republicans generally find time to do these types of icky um, legislative drafts, even though they certainly have plenty more they should be doing, usually around, like I don't know, budgets and infrastructure and climate change. And There's a long laundry list of things they should probably actually be attending to, but this is what they'd like to consume their time with and ultimately they're sharing notes with each other and language and clauses and hyping each other up about these anti-trans legislative introductions and so as I just glance at this map that I have open in front of me and thinking about the midwest states um, that are are under attack um just within the past two months right like Iowa is dark red because there's, there's apparently 14 different bills um, of some caliber that are aiming to restrict or uh, inhibit trans existence. Um, Minnesota has four. South Dakota has three. Kansas has four. Missouri has seven. Um, The list goes on and on. I would definitely encourage checking out this resource. We'll link it in the show notes for folks to um, utilize so that you can get uh, invested in any type of lobbying work or disruptive work to make sure that these do not become law. Ultimately, I'd say that if you exist in spaces where you have influence on political lobbying or other political sway, or you have the ear of folks who are involved in making political statewide decisions, like this is the time to really move and encourage um, politicians to deny, deny, deny the progression of these policies because they are going to do substantive damage to queer and trans people, especially trans youth. Um, and I don't necessarily have strong hopes that our federal um, government is going to be acting too swiftly or boldly on this growing issue. Um, in fact, just within the past week after Greg Abbott circulated his statement about gender affirming childcare for minors being child abuse. A reporter asked the White House press secretary what the White House's stance was related specifically to the Texas iteration of anti-trans law. And the press secretary opted to pull up some talking points that had been communicated in regards to the don't say gay bill in Florida. But as journalist Caitlin Burns pointed out, At no point in time in the response did the White House press secretary even say the word trans children. And that is a problem because if the folks that we would like to believe have the capacity, capital and power to be some shade of allies, in resisting these anti-trans legislative attacks can't even utter the words, trans children, trans youth, trans people, trans communities, right? They are no better than the folks drafting these political legislative attacks um, who are ultimately aiming for the same goal. And that is to disappear, vanish, vanquish, and reject the existence of trans people specifically under the guise of family values, under the guise of safety, under the guise, ironically, of protecting women and children. And they are going to continue to do this until there is a bold maneuver against the possibility of these types of legislative attacks taking place. So to wrap up my little soapbox here, please be specific, please be precise about who is disproportionately impacted by these emerging policy attempts and uh, legislative introductions and bills. Um, Please be attentive to how these things are moving and please leverage any power you have to disrupt and disallow these policies from becoming practice because it's getting really scary out there and it's getting really scary for queer and trans young people especially so I think that's enough doom and gloom for one introduction I just think it's necessary to point out that there's some pretty significant things going on that set the context for what we're going to be engaging in in the next few months with season two of this podcast I'm really excited about some of the conversations we already have on deck to offer you through season two um, we are going to be engaging in quite a few conversations that are quite related to some of this political treachery that's taking place but from a different angle. We're going to be chatting with folks who are taking on campaigning um, and engaging in local politics, and talking about how electoral politics, especially at the local level, can be leveraged as a tool for change that is going to create material impacts for queer and trans people. We're going to have quite a few conversations about health, healthcare, different types of health and healing, either from the vantage point of queer therapists or from travel nurses or from personal development coaches. So all kinds of ways in which we're trying to get our folks feeling better, feeling good, and taking care of ourselves so we can take care of each other. Because I don't know about you, but the seasonal depression is real. The snow can leave any anytime it wants. Um, and I'd like to see the sun for, you know prolonged periods of time. So summer cannot come soon enough. But in the meantime, we can keep each other warm and cozy and sane and safe um, and ready to continue to fight and do what we do best, which is have a gay old time. So uh, lots to look forward to in season two. But um, to prep us for this particular episode i'm super excited to have rendezvoused with a very special friend of mine colton Schenicke, Um, is a long-standing attendee of mumble tech and that's how we came into each other's ecosystems they have a cute little independent baking gig called them de la creme and they are currently a training marriage and family therapist based out of Menominee, Wisconsin. So our conversation is all about the training they received through their graduate program, what their definition of queer and trans affirming therapy is. They also offer pro tips about how folks can go about figuring out if a relationship with a therapist is going to work and what cues to look for so that you have a positive experience with a therapist. And they also go into what to do if you're just not vibing with your therapist. Hint, hint, one of the suggestions is the title for this week's episode. It was super exciting to get to gripe about the gatekeeping medical industrial complex with this incredible, wise, beautiful human. And I'm so excited to be able to introduce them to you through this conversation. So once again, welcome, welcome back. This has been such a treat um, prepping season two for you. So I'm excited to get into it, fam. So cozy up, defrost the windshield, make yourself a cup of tea, run the car for a bit so it's nice and warm by the time you get out there, because I want you to be comfortable, relaxed, and to keep your fingertips not feeling so numb so that you can actually feel what you're doing. Maybe that's just a me problem, but damn, it's been cold here in Duluth. Anyway, get comfortable, get ready, get set, because we are back for season two of Take the Last Bite. Y'all, we cannot do this. We cannot be these stereotypical Midwesterners. Please eat the rest of this food. We just have these conversations every day with people. Like, this is exhausting. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> Why can't we be in space with hundreds of other queer and trans folks and having these necessary conversations? I don't
1: know who you are, but we're going to talk by the potatoes
0: for five minutes.
1: Because aesthetic
0: is the only thing keeping my dysphoria at bay. Yeah, I'm broke all the time, but I look amazing. Definitely going to talk about Midwest nice, And if that's if that's... That's um, as real as it wants to think it is. Midwest nice is white aggression. That's what it is. All right, fam. I'm super excited to be having this conversation, namely because we've known each other for a while back in, I don't even remember what year, but back when we were queerlings in undergrad, trying to figure out what we were going to do with our lives. And now fast forward, we're doing big adulting jobs um and that's why you're here to chat today so can you start off with um like a quick introduction of yourself what you do who you are
1: yeah we're just doing all the big gay things (laughs) it's just great (laughs) Um, yeah we're just little babes um I, I still think tragedy st- strikes. I think I was still cis when we met. oh
0: <laughs> Same, baby? oh <Uh-oh. laughs> fix, <Uh-oh. laughs> fix
1: that. Um, yeah, so my name's Colton Schenicke. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. I am a marriage and family therapist in training um, and sex therapist uh, out of Edge's Wellness. Uh, based out of the Twin Cities, but I work in Wisconsin, so I do all of the fun uh, therapy things and lots of gender-affirming care, lots of um, LGBT-affirming care, um, especially like couples work and sex therapy, all the fun stuff, and I'm just super excited to be here talking about um, queerness, transness, mental health, rural communities, all the The fun things.
0: (laughs) And just, again, I appreciate you so much for hanging out with me today because it's been too long since we've chatted. It Um, has. And and so, you know, we're coming together specifically to talk about, like, the work that you're doing and then just more broadly, right, like, what is the landscape of, like, queer and trans affirming therapy? We have been in this, you know, pandemic. um, And, like, folks who have maybe been um, either... You know, managing their mental health in some kind of way pre-pandemic, maybe you're finding that their coping skills and tools are no longer <laughs> as effective during such a broad scale thing. And, or folks are learning that uh, <clears throat> maybe if they've been ignoring <laughs> their mental health in some type of way, that it's just no longer tenable. Um, so we're coming together to talk about that, right? In, in the context of this pandemic, what is the landscape um, of like receiving and experiencing like therapy practices of any kind, um, specific to queer and trans people. So what does that look like for you, like from your vantage point?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I would say the landscape has changed really drastically. Mm -hmm. And I think we're all, um, acutely aware of that at this point, I think, especially with the, not so much introduction, but the familiarization of yield telehealth. I think telehealth has existed since before the pandemic, um, and it was starting to be a newer innovation. Um, I definitely think that a lot of our field and other fields were very allergic to it um, up until the pandemic. Um, there was a lot of stigma around it. There was a lot of uh, concerns, which I don't think are entirely unfounded. Um, you know, what do we miss out on when we're not in the same room as far as energy, as far as nonverbals, things like that? Um, especially with things like talk therapy, where so much of that interaction is so important. Um, But then we just had to adapt. um, And especially, too, uh, the pandemic happened for me uh, right during my last semester of grad school. So I was right in the thick of it, finishing up all of my hours. Um, And so, yeah, the biggest transformation, I think, has been the shift into wider acceptance and wider accessibility of telehealth. Um, I think as we start to get to this point where you know people are vaccinated and boosted, there's more people feeling more safe with um, in-person things, there's become more, more element of choice, I think, as far as in-person versus telehealth. Um, I think that there's definitely still some work to be doing to like get us fully there because this pandemic surprisingly is not over yet um even though we like to think it is Mm -hmm. um but yeah and so all of that to say like access and technology I think has been the biggest transformation and I Mm. think that definitely applies especially to to the idea of like queer and trans affirming care um in many ways I I do think that the pandemic and especially this large shift to telehealth has been kind of a blessing for Mm. queer and trans affirming care um, despite the circumstances being less than ideal of course um, because the the wide net just opened up so much when so many people were moving to telehealth because if you think about like envisioning therapy beforehand when it was almost assumed or expected that it would be in person you pretty much were landlocked to where you were and how far you were willing to drive um I know I hate driving and so I'm like in town (laughs) or bust um and so like when I was looking for my own therapist um and plot twist everyone therapists usually have their own therapists and I hope we do um I was like, okay, who's in town? Who am I going to find? But now, like, with telehealth, like, I could see anyone in the state of Wisconsin, based on my licensure, if I was licensed in other states, too, you know, it opens up all the more. But, like, I've, I've got clients now from Madison, from Milwaukee, from, like, over by Door County, like, hours and hours and hours away, where if if we didn't have, like, that access, and we were, like, landlocked, like I had said, to how far we're willing to drive, that would have never happened, mm-hmm. and and especially in a state like Wisconsin, the, the number of queer and trans affirming providers, I definitely say, is quite thin, um, let alone queer and trans affirming providers who are actually in community and queer and trans, like, identifying themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as far as I'm aware, I've met, like, two people thus far in the state um and if you're out there you know hit me up because I would love to meet (laughs) you too um because I really just hope that there are more of us than enough to count on one hand um but so it really has just made everything so much more accessible um and that you aren't landlocked to what's available in your community um granted we're still a little bit locked just because of like state licensure but I think that exists for some reasons and also is open to some critiques as well but there's just so much more availability to find people that you wouldn't have been able to see otherwise Mm -hmm. um which I just think has been really great yeah I
0: think that I think that checks out right because like you know both of us are in More rural areas, you know, Mm -hmm. yours is, I think, a you know, Menominee, Wisconsin, I think is a smaller area than Duluth necessarily, but there's still some rurality to those um, geographical areas. And when I think about like talking to, you know, students that I work with, you know, it's definitely Mm -hmm. changed the conversation where, you know, especially on college campuses where it's a chronic issue that you have to wait six to eight weeks for an appointment sometimes, Mm -hmm. depending on the staffing on these college campuses. And even even then there may not be a guarantee that there's queer trans affirming counselors or therapists Mm -hmm. on these college campuses or in, in the surrounding area, even right. To be able to say, you know, let's seek out some options for you that fit within the criteria of what you think you're looking for so that you're not locked into just what's um, around you. Right. It creates Mm -hmm. possibly a level of comfortability to say, Oh, I don't have to meet with someone in person for this like Mm -hmm. first first conversation like I there's a level of comfort and distance where I can be in my own home right which you know is complex in itself because as we've seen through the pandemic too queer and trans like college students or queer and trans youth right who've been required Mm -hmm. to be at home you know during this pandemic in ways that they would probably prefer not to for safety or sanity's sake like that's that's definitely its own talking point but like ultimately I, I appreciate this idea you know your naming of like Expanding choice, expanding access mm-hmm. to. Well, if I'm in Duluth, Minnesota, and I'm not finding someone that resonates with me here, I can seek out, you know, telehealth options elsewhere in the mm-hmm. state of Minnesota, right? That allow me to find someone to to meet my particular
1: needs. Yeah, absolutely, and it's funny as I think about it too, just because, like, as you mentioned, I am in like small rural Menominee. Um, And as I'd mentioned, I have quite a few clients from like larger urban areas in Wisconsin, like Madison, Milwaukee, et cetera, et cetera. And I was just thinking to myself, like the story that you would normally have is like the small town, rural, like queer person, and they would have to go to the urban place to Mm -hmm. get some sort of like affirming provider. Um, But it's like backwards here, which (laughs) I just found funny um, to think about. And yeah, that, that fit is so important um that people do have the right provider for them and if the fates decide that just pure chance they are a two-minute drive away from you I am so profoundly happy for you but also too there is so many other like fits for people that are also probably more like a two hour drive away Mm -hmm. and so now that there's actually that chance and and I can't state enough how important that fit is one thing that we talk about in the field is common factors for success and so that's talking about like research showing what actually helps therapy be effective and I I might be misrepresenting it um, but I I believe it's about 40% of therapy success is just actually the fit between the client and the therapist and the fact okay. that they have a good relationship. The other big one is like client motivation. Uh, other things that we think would be more important, like the model or the type of therapy the therapist mm-hmm. is using is like 15%. Okay. But most importantly is just, are you wanting to be here and doing the work? And are you having a good relationship with the person you're collaborating with? hmm And so to get to find that person is so critically important. I hear that. And as someone who
0: has (laughs) definitely been in the boat of like your standard, you know, your typical marginalized person who is vital, Mm -hmm. straight away from therapy, right? Because I'm just like, I don't know. Um, I remember like, as I was leaving undergrad many a year ago, right? I was just like, my world is shifting and changing. And I did not use my counseling services all throughout college. And the Mm -hmm. counseling center there was just like, technically we probably aren't supposed to be covering you anymore, but you never used any of your like sessions. So like, let's, you know, let's try this now that you're graduating. Cause just like mm-hmm. everything had changed. I was just like, I don't know yeah. Um. but I remember going in and just being like, this person wants to talk about everything, but what I'm trying to talk about. And then I, I didn't go, like I stopped going. Mm-hmm. Right? So like, and I didn't know, anything about counseling I come from a family that hasn't you know done that either you know historically um intergenerationally etc so like what especially right now where there's like this increase in demand if you will of folks like looking to access different types of therapy services because of the impacts of the pandemic um the impacts of you know the the you know ongoing like protest and just like mm-hmm. visibility of anti, you know, anti-blackness and yeah. all the other ick that's happening in the world, right? Like, what is it turmoil, look like? turmoil,
1: capitalist hellscape, all, all of, of that, you know, and just
0: living your yeah. life. Um, what does it look like to seek out and like participate in relationship building that feels resonant and affirming
1: mm-hmm.
0: for queer and trans people, especially?
1: Yeah. So, so one thing that I think, a lot of people do know, but a lot of people don't know that I wish more people were aware of <laughs> is asking your potential therapist or someone you're looking at if they offer free consultations. Okay. Um, a lot of us do. I can't say everyone, um, but I know myself personally, I do offer free consultations. Um, and that's just the chance to get to know your therapist, ask questions, go over what their process looks like, what therapy looks like. And just have this like zero commitment chance to actually just get to know someone Mm -hmm. um, and see if it's going to be a good fit. Cause also I'll be honest, like once again, fit being so important, like that gives both of us a chance to see, like, is this going to work out? Because also Mm -hmm. too, like if the therapist doesn't feel like they can do good work, like that's not going to be helpful either. And so it gives a collaborative communal opportunity to see, does this work? Do we mesh? will we be able to do good work together? And then we can agree together, like, let's get started. Um, And so that's definitely a big one. Also, absolutely, like, ask potential therapists or even your current therapist questions. Like, you are welcome to do that. Um, And people, I think, feel this sense of power differential in the therapy space, Mm. but it's, it's supposed to be collaborative. And so definitely asking your therapist you know, any questions that you have, or if you're feeling not sure about something, naming that, um, talking about the process with them. um, And just really, like claiming that stake in this process that is yours. Like at the end of the day, you own this process, the therapist is just there to guide you through it. Mm. Um, And so claiming that ownership and that entitlement to it um, is really important. Also, giving your therapist feedback. Mm. Uh, If something brings up feelings in you that are ick um and and mind you like therapy and growth isn't is generally like uncomfortable like growing isn't the most pleasant feeling process in the face of the planet but there's a difference between those growing pains versus like something actually gross and problematic happening Mm -hmm. and if that's happening and you're leaving your session feeling just not good naming that with your therapist if you can expend that emotional labor and saying like hey this isn't helpful for me um if you've been to previous therapists too, I know this is my favorite question to ask during a consult. If a client has been to a therapist before, what did that previous therapist do that was really helpful for you or really not helpful for you? Um, because then I can hear those kinds of things that like other therapists were doing that did feel more harmful. And I know, hey, let's avoid those, um, which granted a lot of them just seem like common sense things, but also <laughs> too there are are just a lot of not great therapists out there, which is once again, why it's so important to do these things. Um, Just staking your claim in the process.
0: I think that's super helpful. And just like, you know, not to say, well, in some ways, easier said than done, because of what you're naming (laughs) is this power differential, right? Like you're paying for a service. And then what also comes to mind that I'm sure we need to talk about, right? Is that like, in addition to power differential just based on the dynamic of I'm paying this person for a service. When mm-hmm. we think about like queer and trans folks, especially trans folks, the mm-hmm. level of gatekeeping that can exist, that if there's a purpose yes. to your you know, accessing therapy that's in addition to or beyond right i'm looking t- for therapy right you might be mm-hmm. lukewarm about about therapy but what do you need that fucking t letter or that mm-hmm. you know therapist letter for whatever biomedical treatments you're maybe trying to access or anything else so like mm-hmm. how do, how does that further complicate trying to build that relationship when there's that maybe more transactional component to mm-hmm. i need something specific from you
1: Yeah, that's a whole loaded concept. (laughs) I think there's a lot of things I I have to say about it. I think, number one, the kind of standard that we have of, like, six months of therapy to get a letter is bullshit. Um, Throw it away. Throw it away. Yeah. As as we were kind of, like, kikiing before we started recording, I was mentioning, you know, if you... Like you've been thinking about this for some time and like, it's already such a long amount of time for you Mm -hmm. to be at the amount of convincing yourself Mm -hmm. that this is Mm -hmm. something going on for you. Then the time to muster up the courage to reach out to a therapist, Mm -hmm. then Mm -hmm. add the time of like those notorious wait times that we were talking about, like six to eight weeks even to get in. Right. Like by the time you are sitting in my chair in my office, you probably know what the hell you're talking about. For sure. Like, that six months is ridiculous. It's so unnecessary. It's mm-hmm. so gatekeepy. It's just cis nonsense, mm-hmm. and I'm not here for it. <laughs> um, and so first off, if a therapist is absolutely holding to that expectation, that is a red flag. Sorry. And and to to quote a uh, legendary ghost, like, you and Danger Girl, like, <laughs> don't go in there. And so absolutely just... No, basically, mm-hmm. um, but but adding to more nuance to that, um, asking the therapist themselves like, what does your process look like as far as obtaining a letter? What do you require? What do you not, what do you not require? Mm-hmm. Things like that, um, and just seeing where they're at and where they stand on things, because usually those kinds of questions can also make space for the therapist to name some of the feelings that they have, which should be more indicative of whether or not it's going to be a good fit. Right. Like, like I said, when clients talk to me about it, I'm like, there's a lot of nonsense that keeps people from getting the care they need. So I try to not put up with that. And I try mm-hmm. to challenge the system. If someone is saying that to you, like that's probably a sign that they're going to be a good fit and not going along with all of mm-hmm. this like ridiculous obstruction. And it just comes down to the fact that there's so much like gross stuff regarding mm-hmm. like especially the treatment of trans people in the mental health field and so asking directly with your therapist like where do you stand on these things and knowing from there like if they're going to be a part of the problem or a part of the solution There's so many like deep like undercurrent things that people don't realize like for example the dsm um the person who chairs the committee on gender so the person who chairs the group of people that write the gender dysphoria diagnosis in the DSM practices conversion therapy. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like it's such a problem. And, like, so much of the discrimination and violence that trans people face currently is based in the fact that, like, very early mental health fields were, like, creating the pathology surrounding transness and things like that. And so Mm -hmm. finding therapists who going to be a part of challenging those structures and Mm -hmm. challenging those problems instead of being a part of them Mm -hmm. i think is really important
0: yeah it just you know there's so much stickiness and ickiness to it and like i think i just learn a new iteration of the sticky and icky like every time i talk Mm -hmm. to someone who's trying to access some type of therapy or support especially when i feel like you know i've got a lot more folks in my ecosystem accessing therapy for xyz reasons you know even Mm -hmm. stuff that's like not trans related like i have a friend who you know, is, is wanting approval to get like an emotional support animal um, and like has been tiptoeing around it with their therapist because, you know, early on it was discussed, right? Like in a consultation or in an early conversation about that possibility, but the therapist had never written a letter like that before. So it was kind of Mm -hmm. tepid about like saying whether or not they would be receptive to doing that. So like the relationship seemingly between like my friend and their therapist is strong in just the, the the, everything else that they're doing Mm -hmm. but then like there's always this kind of lingering like you know there's technically something else that I need out of this relationship and Mm. like it's not getting proactively brought up or like looked into by the therapist. And I think that, you know, with trans, you know, trans experiences or trans folks trying to access, you know, this, from this very antiquated model, right. That has existed around mm-hmm. really trying to like police and like control the behavior and the the visibility yeah. and legibility of trans people, right. That's still what we're contending with. You know, I also wonder how much that deters trans folks from going to therapy, even if they're not seeking out, you know, some of those, letters or some of those approvals just because they don't want to be like misconstrued as someone who's seeking that out when they're just Mm -hmm. trying to access therapy beyond maybe their gender gender experience
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and that's that's the other thing too is like once again asking them or like seeing if there's space for them to name it like what the checks and balances are that exist within their work Mm -hmm. um even like a fully licensed therapist, like independently licensed, like working off on their own, like still has like obligations to supervision and consultation. Mm -hmm. Like we as therapists are not supposed to be like solitary creatures. Mm -hmm. Um, and so any therapist, you mentioned this example earlier, like any therapist saying like, I've never done this before. So like, I'm not gonna do this because I mm. don't know how like is bullshit like mm. you have access to these resources like get <laughs> consultation get supervision right. like learn how to do the thing that you need to do because if this one client is coming to you for this thing they're not going to be the last right and you need to do the work and so just asking like where do those checks and balances exist and um And also knowing some of those checks and balances yourself um, as well is really important. So like the fact that supervision and consultation does exist. So if a therapist is like, I don't know how to do this, like, okay, can you get supervision and consultation on it? Cause it's not my job to teach you how to do it or to find someone else, like I'm paying you to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also too, like with um, just in general, like mistreatment and things like that, if someone's not even like looking for a letter necessarily, looking at the fact that like we as trans folks like obviously aren't a monolith and like trans isn't the entirety of our experience um like I might just be a trans person who just happens to be going to therapy for like work stress or something like that Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. one thing that's really important to be mindful of is saliency which a lot of people aren't aware of um but so saliency is this idea of if I like I said as a trans person am going to work like having stress so I go to therapy to talk about it the therapist assumes that it's because I'm trans that I'm having problems oh I mean maybe (laughs) but like also not just I mean maybe but also so like what if the therapist is like oh like it must be like workplace discrimination that's like happening that's causing you to be stressed and I'm like no fam like all my coworkers are trans too or like (laughs) something like that um and so that is called saliency where you're of making someone's marginalized experience like the problem even if it's not the presenting problem that they're coming to talk Mm -hmm. to you about Mm -hmm. and that falls under discrimination and they can uh receive an ethics complaint for that oh goodness wow so so know your resources no checks and balances (sighs) that exist if someone is actually like like exhibiting discriminatory behavior against you like file an ethics complaint like look at their licensing board things like that Mm. um because there are these checks and balances. So we're not shitty therapists,
0: <laughs> which, so I guess, uh, brings to mind uh, uh, something else I definitely wanted to chat with you about. Right. Is like, so you're, you're pretty fresh from your master's program like, yep. and in training, right. As a, as a family therapist, um, hopefully fully
1: licensed by the end of the year. Fingers crossed. Yes.
0: Manifesting we're manifesting. Um, yep. <laughs> I, I'm curious for you, like In your grad school like courses right or just Mm -hmm. like what you've come to understand maybe from other folks in your therapist ecosystem beyond your grad school group like what (laughs) besides your lived experiences right Right. as like a queer non-binary trans person what do you feel like and i already i already know (laughs) i already have a gut sense of what the answer is here like what do you feel like is the level of preparedness or education that is being offered to folks training to be therapists of any kind that Mm -hmm. like either prevents a lot of this either miscommunication mistreatment discrimination Mm -hmm. um you know like do you feel like if you didn't have the lived experience you have that you would have been you'd be prepared to like confidently comfortably and resonantly work with queer and trans clients
1: So as I mentioned, I'm a marriage and family therapist and my master's degree was in marriage and family therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to speak from that lens just because that's what I can speak from directly, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to assume that there's some overlap, um, hopefully. Um, (laughs) But so, um, so the program that I went to was accredited, which is super important if you're like shopping around and looking at your... Um, therapists like if there's a way that you can see like where they went to school and where they were trained and seeing if that's an accredited program Um, because all the accreditation like all this higher ed stuff because yeah we're bringing it full circle um, (laughs) like means that there's a set of standards um, that that program meets for training their students like to get out of the program and work Mm -hmm. in the field Um, and so for example the program I went to is um, accredited or accredited by COAMFD, which is like the national accrediting body for marriage and family therapy programs. And they actually have fairly strict requirements for like including issues of diversity and social justice um, in those uh, programs. Uh, And if you are not abiding by those things and you're not like attending to diversity in your curriculum, in your admission practices, in your hiring practices, like you could lose your accreditation. Oh wow. Okay. Um how that works in reality versus on paper obviously varies but from institution to institution, but there's at least something which makes me feel a lot better about it and Um, and the fact that so many programs are becoming aware of the fact that there's so many like garbage therapists in these areas, Mm -hmm. um, that they're actually really trying to attend to, um, a lot of these issues and making sure that, you know, the people that they're working with are going to be equipped to actually serve the populations that need to be served. Mm -hmm. So
0: that's promising. I think when I think about my grad school experience, which is
1: obviously not a counseling or therapy
0: um, right. field, right? I went into grad school for higher education. Um, I just, I was just curious from like your vantage point because when I, because when I think about right, like how we were trained as higher ed practitioners to go into the field, right? Like we did not get. Um, trained if you will or adequate information around supporting queer and trans populations in my opinion so then to think about mm-hmm. like my peers in that space kind of entering into their respective like functional area after grad school mm-hmm. is just like yikes like just you know not my circus not my monkeys like i can't necessarily like do anything about this but now i know that you're going out into the world like inevitably going to be interfacing with queer and trans people. And just like that Mm -hmm. just feels so disheartening to know that like, you know, educate, this is really, I guess, a commentary and and question slash comment about like education in general is just like, how Mm -hmm. are we really ensuring that, especially these types of fields where you're interfacing with people and trying to do some type of support service, whether it's therapy Mm -hmm. and counseling or like advising or Mm -hmm. identity development, right? Just like, If you're working with people, you should probably be well equipped to like engage with the person based on like the entirety of who they are. Um, yep. Not what you're hoping that person is, or based on like your singular privileged vantage point. So just yep. look, educate. Yeah, you're right. It always comes back to some kind of <laughs> <laughs> some kind of commentary on education. Um, but knowing that there's kind of those standards, it seems that you're talking about um, mm-hmm. of what would be incorporated into the curriculum or the the, the training. Right? It seems that mm-hmm. it's at least facing in the right direction to ensure that like, you're not going to ideally go through a program without some kind of component that, yeah. that gets you to grapple with it, even at a rudimentary level.
1: Yep. Yeah. And, and the way it manifested in my program specifically, which once again, is just my specific program is we had an entire year worth of courses on like culturally sensitive therapy and working with uh, marginalized populations, predominantly like populations of color. Wow. Um, and then in our advanced sex therapy class, there was an entire like half of the course which was dedicated to like LGBT affirming therapy how to do Mm -hmm. things like gender letters and Mm -hmm. stuff like that so I'm a bit biased I think my my program did a really good job um they also had me and even other like trans folks also like keeping an eye on them but yeah I Mm -hmm. I think it went it went fairly well Mm -hmm. and I'm hoping that other programs are following suit.
0: So to shift gears maybe a little bit, not necessarily shift gears completely, but thinking about right, like my reaction to that is wow, in a place like Menominee, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. there is this seemingly thrush, like, you know, it's not just one course or it's not one week on the syllabus, you know, that we're talking about diversity mm-hmm. and inclusion in this this particular program you're talking about, thinking about how that pertains to like rurality and the region that we live in, right? Like what mm-hmm. um what would you say, right, is like some key factors that you think about that pertain to either working in a rural space um, mm-hmm. or working in Wisconsin, which may be mm-hmm. different or may overlap. Um, just like what does it mean to do this work or to think about queer and trans folks in the Midwest region who are either looking to access therapy services or to like train to do therapy practices?
1: hmm. There's quite a few components I think in working in rural communities as a therapist, mm-hmm. um, especially the type of therapist I am and the type of person I am as a therapist. <laughs> um, I think, like I think, the number one thing is making sure that you're super mindful of like work-life balance and boundaries and things like that because you are such a rarity and such a gem in that context that. Mm if you are wanting to be doing meaningful work, you have to stay on top of yourself so you don't burn yourself out. Mm -hmm. Like the, I can't even like accurately vocalize like the number of times that I've had a potential client reach out like with a statement to the tune of like, I didn't think I could find someone like you. Mm -hmm. Um, It's both really like uplifting and just like makes me feel really good about the work that I'm doing, but it's also so devastating Yeah. And and so that's why it's really important that I like stay on top of like my boundaries and make sure that I'm not like burning myself out and like doing too much with not enough and like not then being there for those people who need me and other Mm -hmm. people like me because it's so inaccessible.
0: Does that also create any kind of pressure for you? to like really be exactly what those clients necessarily need because Mm -hmm. you yeah because like oh I sought you out I didn't think you could possibly exist Mm -hmm. yeah does that create a certain pressure for you to like be so so perfect for them
1: yeah it does it does create a bit of pressure um yeah it creates a lot of personal pressure um one thing one thing that's come up a lot lately in personal life is like um with my fiance like pursuing grad school at some point and bless him he's also going to school to be a therapist so all the more like (laughs) we love to see therapists um and especially to like the idea of like a queer cis man therapist wanting to do a lot of like work with men uh we need it um (laughs) but anyways that's a whole aside possibly going elsewhere for grad school. Like if that comes depending on like what he would get into and stuff like that. And like our other partner, you know, definitely not wanting to live in very, very cold Wisconsin for the rest of our lives (laughs) um, and things like that. And so like if we were to move and like, I think that's definitely something that's been broached as a subject before both like thinking semi-realistically and also just like thinking theoretically, but I always notice like this initial reaction that comes up in me where it's like but wait I can't leave these people Mm -hmm. um and I think especially in my unique perspective in where I work specifically um with Edges Wellness which is based out of Minneapolis and so I'm like one of the sole Wisconsin people right now okay um and like almost the entire like staff is like at least some sort of flavor of like queer or trans mm-hmm. but then all of the rest of them are in Minnesota and serving Minnesota um and so I think that dynamic too has made it all the more like real for me like how like few there are on the Wisconsin side mm-hmm. um, where it does really feel like you know if I go elsewhere what will be left for people but at the same time too I'm hoping that in doing the work that I do that I can model and mentor like other people to be doing the work that I do mm-hmm. so that there will be those resources for people mm-hmm. um and also too if I move elsewhere like there will also be people there who need me and things like that but yeah that that pressure is definitely there Yeah. And like and like I said too the pr- pressure to like maintain like top shape so to say and like staying on top of things so that you can mm-hmm. like keep seeing people
0: yeah i mean it's it's you know it's the the inherent pitfall of representation i think is that like mm-hmm. if you're kind of the like standalone person filling in a representational gap right you're kind of seen yep. as someone that like you you can't burn out you can't make a mistake you can't yep. you know right like you have to rep- represent yourself in a certain way because you're the only one but i think the the key that Uh, key initiative you're talking about of like how do you mentor and you know Mm -hmm. model this kind of uh, practice for other people um, or kind of build other folks up to be able to to continue to fill the gap so you're not the only one bridging the gap is really important I see that here Mm -hmm. um, in Duluth we have you know I was telling you before we hit record that like there's only really one trans-affirming doctor. He's not trans, mm-hmm. right? But like, he's doing incredible work. And he's been here for a handful of years now, as long as I, I've mm-hmm. been here, I think. So it may be longer, but anytime there's a ask in a Facebook group of like, who should you go to if you're trans? Like his is, his is the name that pops up, right? But what he's mm-hmm. been doing is like definitely working with folks who are kind of in their the residency or kind of doing clinic, um, training, right. To kind of really inform them about, um, trans inclusive practices, training folks to do informed consent, hormone approval, right. Mm. Just like really spreading, spreading that out because, um, you know, even more north of where I'm at in northern Minnesota, right, there's an even Mm -hmm. greater gap of support and services for trans people. So he's, you know, working with folks who intend to go to, like, South Dakota and, like, work on, you know, the range here in Minnesota. Like, just, like, what does that look like to uh, pass the baton a bit. Right. So that in an instance Mm -hmm. where you're at a place in your personal life where you want to make changes, it's not contingent on the fact that like, if you leave the gap, then widens again, um, that, you know, doesn't create this restriction on how you're able to live your life. (laughs)
1: Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) You know, if you have, if the doctor here ever left, I'd be devastated, but like live your life, you know, like this is not how, this is not how the, the system should be working at this point. Yeah. Like, there should be ways to be like, well, I have to go, but I'm going to refer you to the slate of people that I can vouch for without mm-hmm. any interruption in your care. And mm-hmm. that's not where we're at. That's, and that's, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's really, really sad. And so I'm, I'm really hopeful that, um, I think just time and more people like coming out of programs, I think is going to be really good and really mm-hmm. helpful. I think, um hopefully more people to like seeing the value of like that rural work because there are so many people who like need you and feeling like you can be there to help um is just like it it is stressful because of that pressure absolutely but it's also just one of the most beautiful feelings that i mm. can possibly describe and i just mm-hmm. feel like like i come out of like a full client day and i'm just like feeling so fulfilled Mm -hmm. and it's just really beautiful Mm, because you're because you're needed and like
0: you're getting affirmed in that like you pursued a pathway that it seems like it would be mutually beneficial right like you're pouring Mm -hmm. into someone but it's also then not completely just taking and taking and expending from you Mm -hmm. right it might be Uh, arduous, it might be heavy but like it doesn't sound like it's like draining all that you have
1: Mm -hmm. exactly yeah and and just being there and seeing like some of the real ways that it's like making a difference for people. Like I was mentioning um, earlier, like I just had an experience with like a client, like who had their surgery from the letter that I wrote Mm -hmm. and and stuff like that. And so Mm -hmm. as I like get more into my practice and like seeing all this stuff happen, like, it's just Mm -hmm. so good. And so I'm just hoping more people see that and like, and hoping that more people can you know join the the forces <laughs> so
0: yes what what do you do for yourself to establish that work-life balance because I'm of the opinion work-life balance doesn't exist but I'm happy to uh mm-hmm. support folks who are looking for that way. I, I do believe in burnout right like burnout is super yes. real so what do you yeah. do to like self-soothe to work through the burnout to Mm -hmm. come out of you know a rough day to rev down like what is what are some of your personal practices that you think are
1: helpful so yeah burnout is definitely real um I think first and foremost I have my own therapist um right which yeah I think any therapist who doesn't have their own therapist like I I just get concerns of I'm like are you a robot like what's happening here (laughs) um and, and also it just, it just feels like this fun dynamic too. I was seeing this meme like a while back talking about like, like, is your therapist therapist, like your grand therapist and stuff like that. And, <laughs> like, and so I have like a couple clients where like, I would talk about things that I like learned in my own therapy and like passing that wisdom along. And I would jokingly refer to them like as your grand therapist said <laughs> like um, and stuff like that. And also too, I just love the idea of like like eventually just going up the chain. Who's like the like master therapist, like at the end of the chain.
0: <laughs> They're um, definitely a robot. That That's that, <laughs> yeah,
1: for sure. That or it's just fun. a circle. Cause then they go to the like bottom person. <laughs> um, but yeah, so definitely going to my own therapy. Um, one of the benefits to do, I think of being like a training therapist rather than fully licensed is the fact that I have weekly supervision. Um, which is really helpful. Um, and so like getting to have a space where I can like process and get feedback and things like that on the work that I'm doing and just feel supported makes the weight itself less heavy. Mm. Um, and then also just figuring out those boundaries that like work for you. Um, there's a lot of therapists who recognize the benefit of access there is for clients of like working on weekends and like having weekend slots. I love that and appreciate that. I'm just not that person. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and so I keep your weekends. I, I only work Monday through Thursday and then I keep Friday open for like admin catching up on emails. And then Mm -hmm. also as, Uh, One of my colleagues affectionately referred to as an oh shit day uh, for crisis (laughs) sessions if like anyone needs to fit in like ASAP. Yeah, just being really mindful of like my schedule, like what's too early for me to be working, what's Mm -hmm. too late for me to be working. um, And also how does that fit into like how many hours I'm wanting to be working both like so I don't burn myself out, but also can eat. um, (laughs) Yes, that's important. It is. Um, And so that I think is the most minute balance of it or like not minute like acute balance of it where it's like not working too much to burn yourself out but not working not enough in a way that's unsustainable Mm, um mm -hmm. because capitalist hellscape Um, (laughs) it always comes back to capitalism it always comes back
0: to capitalism (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: so yeah, and just being really intentional about things mm-hmm. like trying to spend time with my partners like when I get home and when I can see them and like playing some video games like Animal Crossing and Stardew Valley are doing me so dirty right now because I can't <laughs> focus on anything else. Um, <laughs> and and just doing things that like bring you joy. Um, mm-hmm. And especially too, I think as a therapist, it's really important to model that for your clients. A hundred percent, Yeah because I think it's important to set those boundaries. It's important to like show like you need to take care of yourself. Cause also if we're like saying all these things and telling our clients to do these things, but we're not doing them themselves. Like that's a problem. Like Mm -hmm. I had this brilliant professor um, in my program. um, And she, she made the statement of like, I, or how did she word it? It was something to the tune of like, I shouldn't ask clients to do something I'm not willing to do myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's super important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I'm saying, hey, how do you ma- how do you manage like life and self-care and like work boundaries and things like that, and then I'm not doing it myself within reason because I'm human and I make mistakes too. Mm-hmm. But then like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that totally makes sense. Yep. And then also giving myself the humanity and the grace when I do mess up and I'm not doing great about it because I do the same thing with my clients. Like, hey, you know, things are slipping through the cracks right now, but you're trying your best. Like, I see you, I hear you.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, like you said, you know, early on, like that's a relationship, and I think in any relationship, there's going to be instances where, you know, things are in sync and things, mm-hmm. you know, are reciprocal and things are vibing, and then there's going to be times where there's, you know, miscommunication. Not the type of miscommunication where like a therapist isn't listening or a therapist can't, you know, lock into an understanding of someone's marginalized experience that they don't hold. I Mm -hmm. think that's different. Right. But just like, Oh, we're miscommunicating because we're on a different page or I'm not, you know, I'm not clear on exactly what this means for you, you know, just like any type of relationship where you kind of have to Mm -hmm. go the level deeper. Right. Like, I think just understanding that, you know, and using, it seems like using tools that we would with like a friendship or like a romantic partner or just like a, you know, Mm -hmm. the type of relationship you have is like what are the what are the ways in which you're participating actively in that relationship to Mm
1: -hmm.
0: move it further and move it deeper so that it you know there's less chance for miscommunication there's less chance for inadvertent harm you know and then what do you do when that harm might happen right uh you know seems like that all just needs to be a part of it and it seems like Mm -hmm. You know, you enter into that space to to with with the level of humanity upheld to understand that like I'm here to guide you. I'm not here to dictate what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't believe that's what a therapist is supposed to do, right? I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to help you unearth what you want to do to address mm-hmm. what you're telling me is causing you issues, right? Like Exactly. It seems pretty straightforward. <laughs> it seems pretty yeah. straightforward to me, but it, uh, as we've discussed for a chunk of this time, right? Like that's seemingly not as obvious to <laughs> <Not> as <simple>. <laughs> everybody. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> which, which once again, as I said before, we got on the record button, like half of the reason I'm a therapist is because there's so many shitty ones. Mm-hmm.
0: When well, you also said w- too, right? like, uh, in, in addition to the list of things that folks should be thinking about when they're looking for, you know, being in right relationship with their therapist and yep.
1: asking questions or whatever. You also said what? So when you are with a therapist, and if it's not fitting, or it's not working, or you feel like you're not getting out what you wanted, you have every right in the world to fire your therapist. Yes like you're absolutely, allowed to like,
0: fire your therapist right and like I don't yeah. you know I don't think folks want to think that they're allowed to do that because they're paying for I mean you're paying for a service ultimately you're building a relationship yeah. through paying for a service yep so in the same way that you can say I I don't want to do this service anymore right like you can fire your therapist
1: yep yeah <laughs> like I'm not getting what I need like it's not working like also too like I feel like I'm doing good and I don't need this anymore. Granted, I'm a little biased and I always think sticking around for maintenance as needed every once in a while is mm. great. But also too, like, you know, you do you, your journey is yours. Um, but yeah, like if you are not vibing or something's not right, or also like there's an irreparable rupture, you have absolutely every right to walk away. Mm. Like the first freaking thing that you sign when you do therapy is that informed consent saying that you have the right to withdraw at any time mm-hmm. like that is your right and I think I think the one barrier is like the service component of it like I'm paying for this like I should be getting something out of it kind of a thing and then also to like ye olde midwest like not wanting <laughs> to hurt your therapist's feelings <laughs> um which like like I will be straight up like there are times probably if I get fired by a client, like, it will probably be very sad or, like, yeah. it will probably be very, like, unfortunate or I will, like, wonder, like, what could I have done differently or all these things. Like, absolutely. But that's my work to do, not yours. Yeah. The,
0: yes. The Midwest Convention of Avoiding Conflict with your therapist is probably something you need to work out with another therapist. <laughs> yep. Exactly.
1: Um yeah, like, there might be some feelings, but also, too, any good therapist will, like, any of those personal feelings, like, fine, but it'll also have, like, the overarching layer of, like, this is also their decision for them, and this is probably for the best. Mm-hmm. And if they're not able to parse that part out, they were probably a bad therapist to begin with, so it's mm-hmm. really fucking good that you're firing them. Dodged a the bullet. Mm-hmm. So yes, fire your therapist if it's not working out. Or if you don't want to get there yet, you also can just have a constructive conversation and say, this is not working. I need to figure out what we can do differently.
0: I envision a future where you're like, the therapist middle person and like your additional services include mediating a conversation as a therapist with midwestern queer and trans folks with their therapist that's what i am mm-hmm. in the future i love that <laughs> i love
1: that um and sometimes that kind of stuff does happen too like that can happen um, especially if it's like a supervisory position like a supervisor mm-hmm. could step into the like um into the therapy and things like that and do that kind of mediation it's mm-hmm. it's fun stuff So yeah, fire your therapist if you need to, or put them on probation or something like that. Like hold them accountable, frankly.
0: As we're wrapping up, right, uh, I want to give space that if you have any parting words of wisdom, additional advocacy you'd like to share, any resources you'd like to highlight, especially anything that you want to name as we're wrapping up shop here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So finding a therapist is really hard. um, And so um obviously there's like the psychology today that's a really good and comprehensive wide resource um for finding therapists near you or who can see you um but there's also um this other one that I've become acquainted with um after getting listed on it myself which which like pros and cons like okay psychology today more broad so you're more likely to find something but whether or not it's great is a question Mm. Inclusivetherapists.com is absolutely lovely um now once again less people are on it and so it might be a more difficult time finding like people in your area or within your reach but if you do find people they're all the more likely to be not hot garbage Mm, Um, and so inclusivetherapist.com not sponsored but if they want to pay me it would be great um and um yeah so like i said it's a journey trying to find your therapist you have the power to ask questions um, and like therapy is scary but you deserve wellness and you deserve happiness and fulfillment and you you deserve therapy and I think it can be really scary telling people that they should go to therapy because it's this idea of like oh I'm so broken that I need like professional intervention on this but it's like no it's this this thing that is healing hopefully Mm. and you deserve access to that healing Mm. if you are struggling like please look for a therapist even if you're not struggling I think maintenance work is great and there's nothing wrong with having someone to check in on every like one week to two weeks just to like help organize your brain on like how things are going in your life if that's accessible to you Mm. um therapy is great when it's the right fit and with decent people so and they do exist so this has been a
0: treat i appreciate you sharing all your infinite wisdom um and your your excitement around your emerging profession um so yeah appreciate you very much it was so good to appreciate you too Our inbox is open for all of your insight, feedback, questions, boycotts, memes, and other forms of written correspondence. You can contact us at lastbite at sgdinstitute.org. This podcast is made possible by the labor and commitments of the Midwest Institute for Sexuality and Gender Diversity staff. Particular shout out to Justin, Andy, and Nick for all of your support with editing, promotion, and production. Our amazing and queer as fuck cover art was designed by Adrian McCormick.